the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Time to keep it going here on SEC Week. We did the SEC East earlier in the week, so go and download that uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Follow and stream us on Spotify. You can catch us on YouTube.com slash Cover 3 for that multi-platform excellence. And time is ticking down. We have got to tell you, the Cover 3 listener, that you need to come and compete against us in the CBS Sports Bracket Games because that's right, we're in there. Uh, Bud's going to be in there. Danny's in there. He's changed his national champion three times already, but it's okay. You've got time until things lock. Tom's already in there, and we want to compete against you. Join at cbssports.com slash cover3brackets. Again, that is cbssports.com slash cover3brackets. The overall winner is in our bracket pool, we'll be getting a prize. The prize will be a $100 gift card toward Paramount Plus. But who enters just one pool? You can also create a group to compete against your friends or your coworkers and fill out your bracket. And if you just enter a bracket in general on cbsports.com, You've got a chance to win a Nissan Rogue and a trip to the 2022 Final Four. You can play on the CBS Sports app, which, by the way, uh, our mobile uh, bracket game is the best out there. It is is fantastic. It's got all the analysis in there. Uh, you know, like 17 brilliantly written team blurbs that were submitted right before Selection Sunday so they could auto-populate. I don't know who wrote them, but I heard they're brilliantly written by someone who covers college basketball for CBS Sports, and we've got them for the other teams too. Again, that's cbssports.com slash cover3bracket. On your app or on CBS Sports, uh, you can compete for a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus against us, but just entering a bracket puts you in the mix for a Nissan Rogue, a car, and a trip to the 2022 Final four. Bud, we got to get you in there. We need, I, I need to see your name in there. I need to see as many names as possible. I think we're up around 80 last time I checked. Let's 114. see. 114. 114. Love to see it. Let's see if we can get to 150. Let's, let's that, double it. Let's yeah. go. Let's, let's two, double it. Let's get to 250. Let's and go. And 2000 Apple Podcast Review. If you guys are listening to us, you're listening to this whole show, SEC West Preview. Let's let's pull up the Apple Podcast app. Let's get us two thousand reviews. Like let, let's let's just get this done today and, and and not worry about it the rest of the month. One hundred percent, love that those goals. And, and the only th- go ahead. The only thing on my mind is like Chip, you just gave me the reason why I don't want to see the college football playoff expand because if the college football playoff expands, that means we're going to have to write blurbs about every team that's in the college football playoff, like we did for the app for the bracket. And you know who's going to end up having to write those blurbs? Us. 
Yeah. So, no, I'm very much against college football playoff <laughs> expansion now. It is much easier to be able to wrap your head around the competitors when it's four teams versus 68. 100% without a doubt. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and dive in. Speaking of the college football playoff, uh, Alabama Crimson Tide is where we start. Uh, perfect 10-0 and in the SEC 10-game schedule. Uh, tack on the SEC championship game against Florida. Uh, tack on two college football playoff wins uh, against Notre Dame and Ohio State. 13-0 and as Nick Saban claims another national championship. And good gracious, we got some turnover, baby, because not only do we lose uh, a Mac Jones and Najee Harris and Alex Leatherwood, Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, stud player, uh, Patrick Sartain, but also on the sidelines. Uh, so all of a sudden we say goodbye to Steve Sarkeesian, Kyle Flood, Charles Huff, Jeff Banks, big time turnover, especially leaning towards the offensive side of the ball, but we've got some big names coming in. Uh, Bill O'Brien, new offensive coordinator, Doug Marone, new offensive line coach. Goodness gracious, we're just getting NFL head coaches coming in here. That's a, even a step up from the old, like Butch Jones, Charlie strong kind of thing, just moving up in the world. And so as we start to look at our big questions here, I, I will, if y'all are curious about Bryce Young, I, I, I will entertain those questions. I'll tell you, I'm pretty confident. I'm probably more interested in seeing how the wide receiver position shakes out just because we lost so much there. And it'd be easy to say, hey, John Mechie the is just going to step right up and, and be awesome. And I'm I'm not sure that he's going to be A, the guy. And I'm not sure that um, you know that's necessarily something we should put on him or the role that he fits in that offense. We will see. As I was doing my research, I, I had this burning question. Uh, do we need to see a dominant Alabama defensive front, or does that even matter anymore? Thinking back to the days of Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, just year over year. And then I went back through my notes and I was like, Christian Barmore was awesome. We saw like Will Anderson be a stud at linebacker as a freshman. Malachi Moore, obviously not defensive front, but a secondary player who came in kind of in that nickel spot. Christian Harris was another new young star. So as we're tracking the development of Pete Golding, and, and sort of his relationship within it, Alabama's defense. I'm curious to see uh, how that group shapes out. And as football is changing, is it even realistic for me to expect Alabama to have a 2015 kind of defense? So the wide receivers and the defense are my burning questions for a team that without a doubt will be top three going into next season. Uh, where are y'all looking at for spring headlines and news coming out of Tuscaloosa? You know, the wide receiver, I think, obviously is huge. And just the amount of players that they are replacing on the offense is something that's important. But one thing that you did touch on that I'm interested in that I think the spring is important for is Bill O'Brien. Because Bill O'Brien is taking over this offense. He's going to be the primary play caller, replacing Steve Sarkeesian, who did a fantastic job calling plays, who replaced Lane Kiffin, who did a fantastic job calling plays. And I know Bill O'Brien has is coaching history as being the offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots when, you know, before he took the Penn state job, when he took the Penn state job, he was calling the plays at Penn state, but he's been at the Houston Texans. He's been the head coach and the general manager. I'm not sure how involved he could be on a weekly basis in putting together an offensive game plan with the roles that he had with the Texans. So I think that for Bill O'Brien, this is an important spring just to kind of get back into the swing of things of putting together a game plan and calling plays and trying to figure out what guys are working. Because let's be real, since the last time Bill O'Brien was a primary play caller, the offenses across the country have changed a lot. So I think that he's kind of got 
this is just as much a spring practice for him as it will be for the players learning the plays and learning the playbook. And I do agree with you, like with the Bryce Young situation, I mean, I, they haven't named him the starter yet, have they? But it's like it's pretty much assumed that Bryce Young is going to be the starter. Is there somebody on this depth chart that I don't know about that has a legitimate shot to wrestle the job away? I, I think it'll be Bryce Young. I mean, I, Paul Bear Bryant, you know, their, their grandson, I look, I, I think it's going to be Bryce Young. I mean, Brian's yeah. not beating out Bryce Young. Bryce Young's a right. five-star. Like, uh, And the things that excite me about Bryce Young, honestly, bud, come from some of your like scouting, just talking about his accuracy, talking about the way that he moves, the way he's able to process his reads. Like, He just sounds like he's ready. Like, I mean, sounds like he's got at least the tools to be able to go out and execute if given the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, he was like, you know, more polished as a passer coming out of, of, of SoCal than, than DJ was at Clemson. Um you know, maybe ceiling is a little bit lower than than DJ's just physical ability. DJ's obviously built like a tight end, uh, but super accurate, hits guys on the run, processes quickly, quick release, mobile in the pocket. You know, he he can run a little bit, but like he's not somebody Bama's going to be running because he's not that big of a guy. Uh, but I mean, just the guy can play the position. I, I'm I'm he's the least of my worries with, with Alabama. What I think is a really interesting dynamic uh, with the Bill O'Brien hire, uh, typically if you see this offense struggle, the quarterback probably would get the blame. But with Bryce Young's pedigree, with the expectations of him being this outstanding prospect, like I think if the offense sputters or doesn't look great, I think because Bill O'Brien already, is it fair to say he's an unlikable, like, that's the persona of him. Like in NFL circles, it is for sure. Like everyone every year was like, how does Bill O'Brien have a job? Deshaun Watson saving him, can't get past the next level. So like he comes in with kind of this reputation that he's trying to overcome. If the offense struggles, I think it'd be interesting that he'll get some of the criticism more so maybe than the quarterback would, which, you know, if you had Sark back, that wouldn't be the case at all or Lane Kiffin. And the bar has been set now with this new, evolution of Nick Saban's squads that they'll be a top five offense and I'm curious Tom said something about Bill O'Brien not having played uh called plays he's also been out of college football for a while period and there are different schemes that are run you know different uh that are different than what you'll see in the NFL even that he'll have to adapt to that now I'm sure he's doing film study and he's got a lot of time to be able to do that but just the adjustment back to the college game, I think will be interesting here too, with less time to work with guys. You don't have, you know, you can't have your quarterbacks in meetings for four or five hours every day in the off season, which you would do in the NFL. So it's going to be an adjustment period for him. So I think it's a fascinating dynamic of Bill O'Brien probably being the bigger question mark than who's going to replace Mac Jones. And it's, it's crazy how that that's kind of the case that we're dealing with. You know, I, I don't think he carries the same stigma in, in college. I mean, certainly very unliked in, in the NFL, as you mentioned, Danny. But he also doesn't have a, a massive talent advantage in the NFL like he does at Alabama. I mean, Alabama has the best talent in the country by a pretty good margin. They out-talent every single team on their schedule. Pretty much whatever you call is going to work. I don't really have any concerns about Bill O'Brien because, A, I'm pretty sure that you know Nick Saban would have called up Bill Belichick to cross-reference, hey, like, is this guy good? Do you think he can, he can work it in college? He worked at Penn State pretty well. Again, Alabama has insane talent. And to me, this is sort of like the Nick Saban offense now, right? It didn't change 
all that much going coordinator to coordinator to coordinator to coordinator. They ran a little more hard play action last year. I think it's because they had an insane offensive line and they could block for, you know, forever. Uh, I, I don't really have that many concerns about Bill O'Brien. I also think that he's a guy that does like to use the tight end position. Uh, and they have some tight ends who we like a lot in Jaleel Billingsley and Miller Forrestall. So with those guys, you know, I, I think that maybe more multiple tight end sets for Alabama early on to, to help out Bryce Young, perhaps running the football. They, they bring back, you know, pretty good offensive line. A couple guys are departed, but they don't have, you know, it's not like, not like another team that we're going to be talking about where they have to basically replace everybody. Um, you know, I, I don't have that many concerns about the offense. If John Met can John Metchie be a one? I think so. Can he be a Devontae Smith one? Probably not, right? But, like, that's not a realistic expectation. The guy just won the Heisman as a receiver for the first time since, um, shoot, Ever, I, pretty I, much. I forget. It's, it's Tim Brown. But, yeah. like, yeah, it, I think you're bringing up a good point with the tight ends and Bill O'Brien's offense because I think that there's a good chance that Jaleel Billingsley is this season's Kyle Pitts just the way that he's – with his talent and the way he's likely to be utilized in a Bill O'Brien offense. And another, another like, coin in the pro side for Bill O'Brien as an offensive coordinator and a play caller, there's only one coach I know of in history who made Christian Hackenberg look good, and it was Bill O'Brien. <laughs> True. Who do you, Bud, who do you think comes out of that running back room? Or do you think it's just going to end up being by committee? Because they've got dudes and they got a lot of options. And I don't, I, don't, I, mean, I think Robinson was probably the number two last year to uh, Najee Harris. Do you, is it just sort of like everyone moves up in line or do you see somebody taking a big step forward? Sanders yeah, is still I, there? I, I think Robinson is probably the guy. Yeah. Um, it, he's clearly the dude they trust, right? Pass protection, catching the ball, you know, hit, hit, hitting the right hole. Um, there's a wild card I think you could look at in, in Trey Sanders. Mm-hmm. Like, like People in Florida have known about Trey Sanders for a long time, played at IMGs from Port St. Joe up there in the panhandle. If Trey can finally stay healthy and, and do his job, he has some ability that I'm not sure that Robinson has, but Robinson's more of the known quantity, so I would expect to see Robinson early. Speaking of turnover, let's take it on to College Station. Texas A&M, 8-1 last season. Nine and one once they tack on that Orange Bowl win. They finished number five in the fall in the final college football playoff rankings, number four in the final AP poll, uh, which again, as I've said on here, is just like the perfect spot because you can always argue it should have been us and not Notre Dame without actually having to go and play Alabama. It's beautiful for the recruiting trail. Great to fire up your boosters. Uh, in the returning production. It ain't it ain't great uh, for Texas A and M, and a big part of that, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is that we're losing Kellen Mond. Now, burning questions: the Texas A and M quarterback battle is going to be one of the big ones to follow. Zach Calzada, Haynes King, uh, Eli Stowers, right? That's right. Pronounce uh, Stowers. Stow- Eli Stowers is going to be your freshman who could come in there and potentially jump ahead of uh, your two players who are already in there. Calzada, six three, more of a pro style. Haynes King, a little bit more dual threat. The defense last year, uh, as we've seen it under Mike Elko, I feel like they they played pretty well. And the question is, is that group elite? My burning question is, is the defense elite in twenty twenty one? Um, and does it lead the way if it is elite for an offense that a we can talk about Jimbo Fisher and you know whether he's going to open things up, adjust, uh, evolve, or whether we're going to continue to see the same plotting uh, old school Jimbo approach? And if that defense is not elite, then do we see any changes in the Texas A&M offense in the way that it that the Aggies take care of business? 
after just incredible, after a, a very, very um, good finish last year, the worst thing that I could imagine for, not the worst thing, but a bad thing for Jimbo Fisher would be to check back in this year at eight and four, seven and five. Like it's, it need to keep pushing, need to be able to keep on the gas. Uh, you don't want to lose any of this momentum that you've got right now. So uh, how are we feeling about the Aggies? You can take it quarterback, defense, uh, whatever's whatever's on the top of y'all's mind. I feel pretty good. Um, they, they return, I think, what, is it 20 of 22 starters on, on, on defense? Mm-hmm. Or, or pr- pretty close to that. This was already a defense that last year was, you know, top 15-ish in, in, in SP+. Plus. I think Mike Elko's really good. They have recruited extremely well along the defensive line. I, I think that they have an argument for the best defensive line in the SEC. Like they're right there, pretty much with with anybody. I I think, and, and that's a really great place to start for a defense that has you know quite a lot of experience and and a defense which will probably help carry the Aggies early. I really don't have um, you know many questions on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, you know, uh, my main question is. I don't. I've said this before. I don't think Jimbo's offense is getting less explosive than it used to be. I just think the rest of college football is getting more explosive around it, and AM's not moving forward with that. Three straight years, ninety fifth or worst in passing explosiveness. That's just a huge red cell on any spreadsheet that you keep, right? It lights up. And last year, despite that, they were tenth in the country in offensive SP plus because they were so damn good and so damn consistent and really good at the short stuff and really good running the football. And I think Jimbo's a really good, you know, play caller as far as that kind of stuff. And, and it's very West Coast, contr- you know, control the ball with a short pass. You know, honestly, more of their explosive plays happen via the run than the pass. The thing is, now that you lose all these guys, like, they didn't have any of their starters miss a game last year on the offensive line. I, I looked at this. Did, did you guys see these snap counts? I'm going to read them to you real fast. 669-669-669-669-646. Every single one of their five starters played every snap on the offensive line. And now four of those dudes are gone. Like they have got to find a way to hit explosive plays because Jimbo's offense last year was good enough, in my opinion, to grind out 10, 12 play drives without mistakes because they were very veteran. They knew what they were doing. And their receivers weren't anything special. So it kind of fit. Osmond opted out and they didn't really have a lot of answers that were ready to step up to really and help what's them his name like towards ACL in the preseason. Right. right. Um, oh, shoot. I, I forgot the kid's name now, but like this year, there's no way that new offensive line is going to make a lot more mistakes. They're going to get some more penalties that, you know, they're, they're going to be in more third, you know, second and 15 type stuff due, due to a false start or, or second and 20 to a hold. They got to find ways to, to hit more explosive plays. I, I think that is the real question I have for them. And, and, whatever quarterback they choose needs to needs to fit that. And going, I, I agree. I look, you look at the defensive side of the ball. This was a great defense last year. Most of it's back. It's probably still going to be a very good defense at a minimum in 2021. So I don't have any concerns on that side of the ball, but I, I'm with you, bud. Offensively is going to be the question, and it's not just the personnel. It is going to be the offense that you're running because you mentioned like the lack of explosive plays in the passing attack. If you look at Texas A&M's last year, their offense, it just passed attempts within air yards of 20 yards or more. For listeners who don't know what air yards are, they're basically just every yard past the line of scrimmage. So if the if the line of scrimmage is the 20-yard line and the pass is thrown to the 27 before it's caught, that was seven air yards. But of past attempts of 20 air yards or more, Texas A&M only had 33 attempts last year. That ranked 13th in the SEC. The only team that threw fewer 
was Kentucky. The national average was 49. So that just kind of gives you an example or an idea of what we're talking about when it's the lack of explosiveness in the Texas A&M offense. It's not just the players at receiver making big plays. It's not just, you know, it's not having it baked into the playbook. It's not baked into what the routes that they're running. We're talking about kind of a dink and dunk offense, which is becoming more and more obsolete in the, in the college football world and in the NFL world at the same time. So I do think that that will hinder Texas A&M unless they take a step forward in that spot. Now, maybe, Maybe that was just all Jimbo was comfortable calling with Kellen Mont. Maybe he gets a quarterback in there this year where he feels more comfortable opening things up and being more aggressive down the field. You'd like to see it if you're an Aggies fan, because I think that really does raise the ceiling of what this team is able to accomplish in 2021. If you go back and look at Jimbo's offenses without Jameis Winston, who you could argue was a little reckless with the football, especially after they won the national championship, um, he was taking a lot of the risks down the field and having success with those. Uh, and I'm sure it's something that Jimbo is kind of looking for and saying, hey, I need that quarterback to press the ball down the field. The problem is the schemes that he's dialing up are not – like there's a lot – like you see 75% completion percentage rates out there. You're not going to see that in Jimbo's offense. I just I, – it's it's – I think it's it's antiquated, and I think Jimbo is stubborn. I mean, Bud, you you know him better. Uh, you know, probably anybody covered him more. Um, don't you think that's probably a fairly accurate way to? And a lot of college football coaches are stubborn. I don't think he's the type to self scout and say, "Yeah, let me copy some other schemes." Because that's what you have to do: is you have to look around and steal schemes from other people and implement those in your system. I don't picture Jimbo doing that. So it's it's I don't envision all of a sudden a new look Texas A&M uh, offensive attack, especially with Isaiah Spiller coming back. Like they're going to lean on the running backs even more. So I think it'll be more traditional the way college football was played 10 years ago as it paid the way it's played in 2021. Can we get real schemey here for a second? Like, I, <laughs> sure. I want to bounce this off you. Like, like just I've watched Jimbo's you know, offense a lot. I've seen pretty much all the coaching clinics he's, he's ever done. Um, you know, they're out there on the internet if you want to find them. And I've been to some. His offense wants to have an answer for any defense on every play, right? And it's up to, up, up to the QB to read that out, and it's up to the receiver to you know read the coverage and, and, and break off the route at the right time. And as a result, like if it's perfect, it's really freaking hard to stop. It's it's not a very college-y offense, right? Like there are some offenses that are very boom or bust. Jimbo's is much more you know consistent, but as a result, you don't get as many yards after the catch because. They're not really designing plays that are that are trying to free up one guy. Like if you watch Oklahoma or even watch Alabama last year, they would call two or three shot plays a half at least. And you know, what? if it wasn't there, okay, check down. But it's really a play designed for one dude. Jimbo's offense, not saying they never do that. That's not true. They do not do that nearly as often as some of these more quote unquote college offenses do, right? And I I think that. Nowadays, Danny, to your point, it, teams are completing just as as a high percentage of passes as a And M does, but they're doing it far, you know, much much further down the field, which means that the rest of the sport is getting more explosive around you while you're still kind of running the same thing, and it may be beneath you schematically as a schematic genius to adopt some of these college, you know, kind of lowbrow type concepts that maybe seem like cheating sometimes. 
But if everybody else is doing it, you're sort of kneecapping yourself if you're not willing to try that some. Look at the success that Sark had with Devontae Smith. You don't think everybody in the country knew the ball was going to go to Devontae Smith, and yet Sark schemed up plays designed to get to him. I mean, some of the stuff was really basic, easy concepts. The play that they had in the championship against, uh, game against Ohio State, remember when he ran the little uh, reverse motion? It was just a sprint option to the right, which is a very basic concept that everybody runs, and yet Sark took him out of the backfield, reversed in motion, came back across, and then he went back out. And who was the corner that was covering him that they picked on that was supposed Sean to be? Sean Wade. Sean Wade, who called out, said, yeah, I want Devontae Smith. He was, like, about to cry. He had tears in his eyes because he's like, I can't keep up with this guy. But, like, that's a very simple concept that everybody runs. Did Sark just dress it up a little bit, add a little wrinkle to it. And it's about getting your best players the ball. The game now is about finding those mismatches, finding the weaknesses in the defense and exploiting them. And some of them are very basic concepts like that one. You just dress it up a little bit. You find a way to get to them. Because remember when Jameis was at Florida State and a lot of people, like football IQ was something that Jameis had in a large part because of all the stuff that he had on his shoulders at the line of scrimmage that Jimbo was asking him to do. So it was a compliment to Jameis. But it is not easy to play quarterback in Jimbo's system. Like it is a very complex system, which is, a big part of why he's so involved on the field when you see him getting into it with Jameis and when you saw him getting into it with uh, Kellen Mond coming off the field, there is a lot of dialogue that takes place, almost to the point where I think it's too much. I'll also say that like, he did do a decent job last year, I think, of finding creative walls or cre- creative ways to get Aeneas Smith the ball, right? Yeah. Like That was their one playmaker, and he did a good job of that in the Alabama game. I just think it needs to be more call plays for players, not call plays for plays. Like sometimes the best play isn't find who's open. It's scheme a way to get our best playmaker WTFO. And if it's not there, eat it and run. Like it's not schematically beautiful. You know, it's not perfect. It's not an answer for every defense, except that some of these plays are going to be dead. If you get a certain defensive call, but they're going to be wide the hell open. If you get another defensive call. You just took us right to a you just took us right to a coaching clinic with call players for plays, don't call plays. Wait, call plays for players, don't call plays for plays and WTFO. I mean that was that was, I was in a hotel ballroom at a Sheraton, you know, right off the highway at I-85 somewhere in Concord listening to somebody give that speech right there. Respect. <laughs> FTS, feed the studs. Let's yeah. go. Um, new, uh, we, we mentioned, we've got a lot of coaching turnover in the sec East, just one new head coach in the sec West. It is Brian Harson taking over for Gus Malzahn at Auburn. The Tigers went six and four against the sec schedule, six and five. And the impact of Brian Harson's arrival comes with both, you know, on field and off field questions at the time of the hire with just a little bit of, you know, looking at Harson and, and trying to think about in a league where we've had so much retread, so much, uh, you know, assistants getting hired, promoted to head coach kind of comes with a little bit of an outsider vibe. I, I don't think that that is my burning question for spring practice, though. I think that I'm just looking for clues in terms of what Harson wants uh, Auburn to be. Now, I, I guess Bo Nix gets the tap at quarterback, but uh, I think that I'd probably be more concerned. Like, I'm, I'm cool if he wants to make that an open competition and we really start to entertain the who else is going to be there. Certainly, Bo Nix has not put together a stellar resume that suggests that he is without a doubt the uh, the best player there. And I'm interested to see because 
you know, 24-7 sports has great uh, Auburn coverage. I'm, I'm interested to see the confidence in what things are going to look like defensively because under Kevin Steele, defense was kind of the calling card of this team over the last couple of years. You got a lot of turnover, uh, including, you know, like the transfer of Big Cat Bryant. And so, you know, what is – I think most of my questions for Brian Harson's Auburn are – not totally scheme, but a little bit that, but a lot of identity. You know, what are we going to expect the Tigers to look like? Because with the Gus bus, it, the putt-putt offense and, you know, leading with your defensive line, like there was, there was definitely, it was frustrating at times if you were an Auburn fan, but there was definitely an identity. And I've got, you know, very little to, to be able to hang my hat on just because Brian Harson at Boise State and Brian Harson even as a coordinator and a, a head coach in between there, kind of multiple, you know, kind of seems like he's willing to, uh, willing to bend to the personnel. So where, where are our uh, concerns, questions when it comes to Auburn looking ahead to 2021? I'd like to see a quarterback competition this spring. I I don't want to see if I'm an Auburn fan, I don't want to see Bo Nix just being the unquestioned starter heading into 2021. I want there to be somebody at the spring at a minimum pushing him, if not taking the job from him. But at the same time, there's also a part of me that's just from my angle, Auburn fan or not, maybe not being playing under Gus Malzahn would be good for Bo Nix. Maybe being in a different offense under with my offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo and Brian Harson could be good for Bo Nix's development. Because as I've talked about on this show millions of times, I feel like I don't really remember any quarterbacks that Gus Malzahn developed as much as they just, were finished products as soon as he got them and they stayed the same the entire time that they were there. So it could go both ways. I think that's one thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on this spring for Auburn is just, I want to see if Bo Nix is improving in this offense or to see if there's somebody that's giving him the shot. And I'm not sure who on the roster that would be. I know that they have the four-star kid in their 2021 class from Houston, whose name I cannot remember right now. Maybe Demetrius Davis. There we go. And I don't know if he's, polished enough coming out of high school to be somebody we think could really push for the starting job or not, or if there's somebody else, maybe a veteran presence on the roster that, you know, like an upperclassman who could push for it. I don't know, but I would like to see some competition there. If I'm an Auburn fan, I don't think you're going to see it. I, I think this is going to be Bo Nix all day. Um, I, I don't think Demetrius Davis, you know, is somebody who can come in and, and learn this offense year one. Um, but my biggest concern isn't, isn't Bo Nix. Um, as Tom mentioned, and who's your favorite quarterback that, that Gus Malzahn's ever developed? Nick Marshall, the former safety. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just not an offense that you don't see a lot of quarterback development chucking it around. And every time they tried to go to a quarterback that was more of a passer, it didn't look very good, right? Remember Sean White? Like, that offense that Gus Garrett runs Stidham. is better when you have a guy who's a really good runner. It just is. Um, but my real concern here is not Bo Nix. I don't think Bo Nix is that bad. My concern is, what are they going to do at receiver? Because mm. Seth Williams is gone. Anthony Schwartz is gone. Like Their top pass catchers are gone. I think they only return, like, eyeballing this, maybe 20% of their catches and yards at receiver. And we know from Bill Connolly's numbers, I mean, pass catchers are, like, continuity year Huge. to year there matters a whole heck of a lot. That's a ton to replace. I don't. I'm not totally convinced they have the dudes to not have a major drop off there. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Canyon, maybe Kobe Hudson, you know, Evans was a good recruit. Maybe Malcolm Johnson, maybe, maybe he's beyond caper steps up. 
They got some guys that were good recruits, but I that's a whole lot to lose in one year, and I, I have some concerns about their passing game for that. Agreed on everything you guys have said. Uh, I'm a little bit more worried about Bo Nix. Just, you know, you've developed some bad habits, you know, like, and, and maybe it's because of that uh, lack of development there. You know, when I watch him play, I'm like, does he realize he's not Lamar Jackson? And yet he is pretty athletic. Like, you want to use that mobility to your advantage, and yet I felt like he relied on it too much. Um, but some of that was probably system-based. Like, he wasn't getting deep into reads. Maybe it was because he didn't ask him to get deep into reads. So that'll be on Brian Harson, where I do trust the track record with Harson. Uh, Mike Bobo taking over the offense will be interesting. At least he's familiar with the SEC. Like, I think that was the wise thing that Harson did, was bring in coordinators who are familiar with the landscape, familiar with the schemes, familiar with the personnel, uh, to kind of rely on in that position – Offensive line should be strong. Uh, and receiver, I, I think it's a position like you can coach up a little bit, but you need somebody to emerge from that very inexperienced group to kind of take, o- take over the reins as a kind of lead dog. And I don't know if that's emerged yet, but maybe there's somebody there that we just don't know who it is yet. Uh, so, And then like defensive personnel, I think, yeah, there's going to be some issues there, but I kind of trust that they'll have – a pretty good I don't, I don't know if it's going to be dominant or a top you know two or three defense in the sec but i think it'll be uh it'll be competitive enough to where it should be a pretty solid season for auburn like i like i think it's interesting because we've gotten out of this point and we didn't really address it with alabama like i still think Alabama's probably going to win the west yeah. and then who's the next best team i think that conversation it's kind of like clemson and the acc who's the next best team i think that's in the west you have the most intriguing race is who's going to be the second best team. And I think Auburn along with AM, along with LSU, and I would maybe even throw in Old Miss into that group as a wild card are in that conversation. So I think, you know, all these teams have a lot of questions to answer, but there's going to be one of these teams is going to emerge, you know, and, and it might be Auburn. It would be very interesting if I'm proven wrong, but I've got Texas A&M a decided tier above Auburn right now. And with yeah, the, with the defense, my reference point is 2019 Georgia vibes. Like in the back half, like October and November, the 2019 Georgia team just ran off a bunch of 20 to 17 wins. They're just like, no, we've, we've got one of the best defenses in the country. We'll only give up about 10, 14 points per game. And we'll do just enough offensively to be able to go out there and get a win. And that's kind of uh, what, and not a bad ceiling. Obviously they made it to the sec championship game before losing to Joe Burrow and LSU. Speaking of, Coming up on the other side, to go from winning the national championship to just getting dogged by Mississippi State in the opener, boy, that'll get you dizzier than a couple of hand grenades. We'll get into the LSU Tigers next. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Cover 3 listeners, I want to tell you what our friends at Sportsline are up to during Bracket Week. You can get every pick, every play, every upset, and fill out your bracket with the help of some of the best sports data analysts in the game. Visit Sportsline now to see which teams will make and break your bracket and see who cuts down the nets, all from a model that beat nearly 90% of brackets last tournament one year after finishing in the top 5%. Again, that is Sportsline, sportsline.com, or download the Sportsline app. Also, you get all the good bracket advice. Where do you get it? On CBS Sports HQ. Uh, I'll be jumping off this recording and jumping on CBS Sports HQ to tell you, uh, you know, who are going to be the teams to watch, the upsets to watch, all the superlatives. We're giving it to you every hour, 24 hours a day. And then, of course, plenty of game coverage once we get going. That is CBS Sports HQ, CBSSportsHQ.com, or in the CBS Sports app. LSU went five and five last Hold season. Hold on one second. I just want to. I just want to get one thing on record here. I just want to say that if I ever have an encounter with the hand grenade and the only thing I'm left with is dizziness, I feel like I won that encounter. <laughs> True. I mean, as as long as everything that you ingest stays inside your stomach, you know, yeah. after a couple of hand grenades, then I think that you've won the battle of uh, of mortality against that thing. Uh, all right. Interesting because, you know, as we're continuing to work through spring gleaning, you know, we started with the ACC because Clemson was off and running early, but uh, LSU is starting to get going. And uh, offensively, you got to talk about the quarterback position because Miles Brennan was given an opportunity and then he got hurt. And, you know, I initially in the offseason started to get the sense because Coach O was going on the record saying, you know, we're really happy with his progression. He should be healthy and ready to go. Well, sure enough, uh, Coach Ogeron said in the last couple of days that Max Johnson, who finished the game leading LSU to a couple of wins and was part of, you know, helping a passing offense that really highlighted uh, Keishon Butte, fantastic freshman wide receiver talent and lit it up uh, right near the end of the season. Max Johnson is taking the first reps right now, but he says that all reps are equal. Hashtag all reps matter. Uh, the offensive line absolutely has to get better. It is 
was not good. And I don't know uh, specifically if that is a, a scheme uh, thing or if that's going to be a personnel or we're going to still be concerned about it. Um, and, you know, speaking of scheme and speaking of, you know, what, what, how something is going to get better, boy, the Bo Pelini defensive experiment uh, did not work. So uh, what are we going to get from the Tigers defensively as they have reshuffled that staff? Um, you know, I, we talked about the sort of pecking order in my mind. I want to say because of some of the skill position talent that I would put slot LSU ahead of Auburn, especially with Auburn, big question marks at wide receiver. But outside of that, I, I don't know if I'm feeling overly confident that they are you know, anywhere closer to that Texas AM and Alabama first tier. So whether it's quarterback, defense, uh, what are the big concerns if you're uh, are digging into what's happening in Baton Rouge right now? You know, I I wouldn't be shocked if LSU has a bounce back season. I, I think that there are, obviously there are concerns. It's, it's, a, it's one of those things where I look at it and it's like, I'm really not sure what we're going to see from LSU. But if you just kind of put last season in the past and you just kind of ignore everything else surrounding that program right now. And you just look at the basics. There's a lot of returning production on the offense. There's a lot of returning production on the defense. As far as the division is concerned with Connolly's rankings, the only team that has a more, you know, overall returning production is Ole Miss who we'll get to here shortly. So there's a lot of experience last year was a young team took a lot of lumps, but it still did lose some key players, but it's also a team that had the third ranked recruiting class in the country last year. So you think that if we've upgraded our defensive coordinator position, and I think that going from Dave Aranda to Bo Pelini clearly was a downgrade. I don't know if you're going to upgrade right back to Dave Aranda levels, but if you've upgraded the defensive play calling in that kind of situation, that improves the floor. The new offensive coordinator with more experience on that side of the ball, if you've upgraded there a little bit, that improves the floor. You've obviously got the talent. And I think that as we've got to the end of the season last year, LSU was, you were seeing signs of improvement going forward. You were seeing some signs of optimism. Like there was that win over Florida. And although it took a crazy shoe toss to help them get it, they still did play well in that game aside from that. So I, I'm with you, Chip. I think that right now, I think Texas A&M is the most likely team to finish second in that division to Alabama or the most likely team to win the division if Alabama somehow stumbles. But I would have LSU as the team right behind Texas A&M, and I don't think the gap is that significant just because of the amount of talent that they have on this roster. Even if we don't know who is emerging yet, you just know there's five and four stars up and down the depth chart. Does it feel like – so you said wouldn't be surprised if LSU finished the second in the West. Yeah. I wouldn't either. But would it also not surprise you terribly if they had a – another no barely above 500 seat like no, no if the that, floor falls out i won't be surprised at all right so that and the, like for those reasons like i'll give you some of the reasons why i'm a little bit concerned about lsu last year three and five they had been blown out by auburn they were a 28 point underdog versus bama game gets canceled squeak out a win against uh arkansas uh and then they lose two games in a row and they're sitting there at three and five they actually do get blown out by alabama when they make up the game december 5th and then they salvaged the season, which was awesome. And for me, it was huge because it felt like things were coming off the rails and you might have another Gene Chizik situation. And I was worried about the team quitting on them. Instead, they get the shoe toss game in Gainesville, win that game by three. 
They come back, win the barn burner shootout with Ole Miss, so they salvaged the season. They avoided complete disaster because I do feel like they were on the brink of absolute disaster uh, for the last couple weeks of the season, but they salvaged it. And I think Ed Ozeron realizes that, which is why you saw a lot of staff changes, why, uh, you know, you see, and I know, uh, um, you know, you retired it, offensive coordinator, so you bring in. I just feel like they're trying to capture the magic of Joe Brady once again, even going to his quarterback coach uh, for the Carolina Panthers to be your answer. My concern with Jake Peets is that, he, I'm looking at his resume. I don't see a lot of play calling experience on there, which is kind of important. Like you can know the system, but do you know why you're running the plays? Do you know why you're ad- adjusting things in a game, in a live game? Do you make good adjustments? We don't know those things yet. Maybe he's the next coming of, uh, um, of Joe Brady. Maybe, but I just feel like they're also as bad as the program felt I feel like Ed Ozeron knows it like and he said hey I'm from Louisiana I know the expectations I invite them I just I I wonder too there was some former players that were out there very vocal questioning the culture I'm, I'm a little bit worried about LSU same but to your point Tom talent is always there if you pull it together you can make a run and it could be incredible and they could maybe they maybe the sky's the limit. I love what I saw to Max Johnson. I think he will end up winning the job. I think he's got the locker room. You got those two wins under your belt late in the season. So I think they've got their quarterback. I think it's smart to play it up and say it's an open competition. But there's a lot of like this could be uh, again. It could be a home run or it could be a complete dumpster fire. I just don't know. I like did Ed Orgeron build a team or did he build a program? We're we're gonna, we're going to find out a lot this year. Because last year was a COVID thing, and they lost an absolute ton. I think it was very hard to judge, you know, what they were doing. And I think it's the confidence that they gained from those wins down the stretch is real confidence and real things to build on. But if you look at their post game win expectancy, they beat Arkansas eleven percent post game win expectancy, which says extremely lucky. Florida one percent win expectancy, literally the luckiest win any team had in the entire country last year out of every college ball game played. Old Miss twenty seven percent. So, like, their November was and December was pretty much, you know, no well-played games, three wins. I think there's a reason they went out and made those coaching changes. But there's a lot I like about this team. I think Max Johnson can be a good quarterback for them. Um, also, I would start him because his brother is a total stud at tight end. So, if you want a tiebreaker there as far as recruiting <laughs> goes, I, w- I would, you know, try to keep him and, and the Johnson family happy there. Um, their, their entire offensive line is back. I think they'll run the football better this year with with that offensive line. I think getting Austin DeCoolis back is, is a pretty big deal. I love Elias Ricks and, and Stingley at corner. I mean, assuming Rick, Rick sticks around, like that's an awesome pair of, of corners. Allie Gay is back. Like they, they have a lot of difference makers on defense that, you know, I really think with better coaching can help them. And, you know, if internally they're not a mess, I think this team absolutely has second in the West finish potential. Right. But I agree with you guys that, you know, maybe like there's also the certainty is much less with with these guys. But I think their ceiling is higher than AM. Their floor might be lower. Ole Miss went four and five last season, tacked on a bowl win to finish five and five. Did Lane Kiffin live up to the expectations? I'd say so. It was really entertaining. It's fun to watch Rebels football. And those are my expectations. Matt Corral back, Jerry and Ely back, four out of five offensive linemen back. Listen, losing Elijah Moore hurts, 
because he was awesome. But I will say that I'm just kind of expecting that this high volume offense is just going to allow for opportunities and they're going to figure out ways to get players open and figure out ways to distribute the ball. Um, including after Kenny Yaboa opted out, I forgot about this swag. Kelly's little bro coming in at tight end Casey Kelly. So let's see if Swag Kelly's little bro ends up stepping up. Uh, the defensive line couldn't stop the run. The defensive line couldn't rush the passer. Sam Williams is probably your name to know at the linebacker buck position. But in terms of like questions and concerns, I'm really not even exp- like, I will be surprised if Ole Miss's defensive line takes a great step forward this year. Uh, it's not part of my expectations for the Rebels, but that could be disrespecting uh all the Rebel Alliance and all the other Rebels uh, around. I'm bullish on Ole Miss. Let's I, go. I, I think they're going to be a thorn in the side again. I think their win-loss record improves. I think their quarterback is a dark horse Heisman candidate. I think they'll get – they cannot get worse on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to get better. I think they pull off some big wins this year. Like I, I think like you talk about teams that could play for second in the SEC West, I think it could be Ole Miss. See, I, I agree with you in that I feel like Ole Miss can pull off some big wins. I think that if I look at the SEC West and it's like, all right, pick which one of these teams is most likely to beat Alabama. I'm picking Ole Miss just because the offense that they run is the same kind of offense that has always given Alabama problems. So I would put them in that contention. It's just I also think Ole Miss is fully capable of some big losses as well because of the problems that we've mentioned on defense. And we saw because like when we were talking about LSU, I talked about how Ole Miss has the most returning production of any team in the division. A lot of that's on defense, but it's kind of a catch 22. It's like, well, okay, we've got nearly the entire defense back. The defense sucked. So I don't know if it's good to have all those guys back or you'd hope that some of those guys lose their jobs to players who are outperforming them this spring, or you just hope that those guys overperformed. But I'm with you, Chip. My my expectations for Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin will always only be just entertain me. And I am fully 100% confident that the Rebels are going to be fun to watch. They might be 6-6. Six and six. They might be 10-2. and two. They might be 4-8. and eight. I don't know. But they're going to be fun. So my numbers tell me that when Elijah Moore was out of the lineup last year, Matt Corral really struggled. And double that with with Kenny Yeboa. But my eyes tell me that Lane Kiffin is so brilliant at scheming guys wide open that, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to walk myself into saying that Elijah Moore doesn't matter because he does. Like, he's really good. He was also super reliable catching the football. He had a 1% drop rate. Jonathan Mingo, who they, you know, might be counting on to be their number one this year or at least their two, had an 11% drop rate. So, like, Elijah Moore super electric with the ball in his hands, but also like the ball got into his hands because he caught the ball really, really well. Yeah. And so I do think they're going to miss Elijah Moore. I mean, maybe Drummond or, you know, Sanders or Jackson can, can step up there. Maybe Mingo can become more sure-handed, but I'm a little bit worried about what they lose, you know, offensive explosiveness at the skill positions. Uh, But my greater concern is, is defense. You can bring back all the experience in the world, but if you don't have height, weight, speed, I don't really care. Now, you might have fewer blown coverages, right? Old Miss last year, that was a that was kind of a major issue at times. Um, some of their run fits were real sketchy. They were a, a 117th in explosive play rate allowed, which is just, I mean, that's not great. Um, you know, I, I, 
their passing completion rate was 124th allowed. They allowed 68% completions, which is just, I mean, it's hard to do that on air sometimes. Uh, but, like, I, I think Chip nailed it. Got to figure out what the pass rush is in spring. Like, can you find a pass rusher? Because last year they, they didn't really have anybody who rushed the passer all that effectively. Uh, and then how much can Lane Kiffin's scheming overcome the loss of, of Moore and Kenny Bow? I think the offensive line will be okay. And, and I'm interested to see what comes out of this spring because they were 80th on defense last year. They can probably improve that. Like, they don't have to be good to improve that. Can you get to below average? Can you get from bad to below average? That'd be, that'd be cool. That'd help. That's like the Oklahoma move from 115 to 50. Yeah. Yeah. If you can make and the, that's doable. If, yeah. If you can make that kind of jump, then uh, it can really help your team success. Uh, Arkansas three and seven last year and year one with Sam Pittman. This was one of the spots where in particular, I'm, I'm thinking, man, this is a team that with a full spring practice with a full off season, this, this could really matter because offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, somebody who, that we consider to be, uh, you know, on the, uh, I guess, still cutting edge, but at least uh, an offensive coordinator worth respecting beyond just his last name. He has a little bit more time to be able to to get out there and try and install uh, what he wants the Hogs to be. Now, at quarterback, with Felipe Franks gone, it's going to be either KJ Jefferson or Malik Hornsby. And he does have five starting offensive line back if everybody can stay healthy. That was a little bit of a problem uh, for the Razorbacks and a good wide receiver in Traylon Burks. Similar to Ole Miss, my big concern and my big question defensively is going to be about the pass rush because they did not have a pass rush last year. It was a lot of, uh, wasn't Arkansas, bud, the one you talked about where it's like, we're just going to drop eight? Just Yep. rush three 100%. drop eight every single time so i i don't know if that's the game plan again or if that was the like we didn't have any time to install game plan but you no know, the razorbacks have have some intriguing uh some intriguing spots where i think that they should be benefited by having full spring full summer uh and probably look a little bit more like what sam Pittman imagined when he was hired yeah no i i would like to see a change in the defensive approach like you mentioned, but the drop eight, they, they played a ton of umbrella stuff last year and it was okay. in that like, they didn't have terrible defensive numbers against the pass, but they were kind of just averages. They weren't very good. And just like the pass rush, they ranked, let's see 121st nationally in pressure rate. And they weren't much better in sack rate at 117th. It's hard to consistently win without on the defensive side of the ball without getting pressure on the quarterback. And if we look at uh, another stat that's just pass rush pressure in that there's a stat from that we have access to from uh, what's the company called from True, True Media. Media. Yeah, that tells you like the percentage of snaps that the defensive line won against the offensive line. The national average was 52.9%. Arkansas was dead last in the SEC at 47.5%. So even with everybody else dropping back into coverage, the defensive line just wasn't winning enough battles to to create pressure on the quarterback. And I think that that is a step that we need to see Arkansas take this year Can we if fight? we're going to see improvement. Yeah, like I, 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 I know we don't, you know, like like the lock fight thing, but like I, Tom, I disagree. I, I think they need to keep doing what they're doing. Like I don't think they have the players to to do other stuff. And I, I, I think that Arkansas should be commended for the incredible humility and honesty that it had with themselves that our guys can't run, right? 
We don't have anybody who can rush the passer up front. We're just going to be the most humblest, just like conservative defense out there. And they were. I mean, look at these numbers. This is absolutely crazy to me. So they were 113th in completion percentage allowed, 67. They were sixth in passing explosiveness allowed, right? It was like they were playing AM's offense every game. And dude, I mean, like they they knew who they were. They were like the ultimate no big plays, no big plays, no big plays. Let's play red zone roulette game. And that is a really good strategy. It's almost like, you know, Chip, you play golf, right? Mm-hmm. You, got, you got the old guy on a course. He's, you know, he, he's 210 off the tee. If you play well, you're going to beat him, but he never hits the ball out of bounds. If you play poorly, he's going to beat you. Arkansas doesn't have the guys to beat the better teams in the SEC. I think the style they play absolutely allows them to make a bowl game, which should be the goal at Arkansas. They're never going to contend for the West. I, I think what they do is really smart based on the the, ta- the quality of player that they have personally. I, I, is it boring? Is it hopeless? Yeah, but like it, it's effective for for their See, goals. You're, you're literally arguing for something that you just said is boring and hopeless. Like, but it's effective <laughs> for their to reach their goals. Like, but, it's no yeah, fun to hit two ten off the tee, and you know, but like fives beat sixes, right? I get I get that, but shouldn't you want to strive to have a pass rush? Strive to get the players that will allow you to change that scheme. That's what I'm saying. I'd like to see because yeah, like they limited passing explosiveness, but. 35% of the pass attempts they allowed resulted in a first down. So, but not just, a, not not a 40-yard first down. No, but still <laughs> you get a first down. That's that's below average nationally. So, it wasn't very good. It's just like you're kind of just extending the likely points that you're going to surrender. Like if you're just giving the other team 5-6 yards a pop, well, teams are going to take 5-6 yards a pop and then again, you know, they're playing the red zone roulette. We can get us Not all teams. Remember all Miss last year? Matt Corral would not take the five, six yards of pop. He wanted 14, 15 yards of pop, and he got picked six times. This is their formula to win. I think College that kids they ain't could that strive for more. I think that <laughs> if they could, they need to find a better pass rush, and that way that would change things up. Because I get, like, I understand what you're saying in that if you're Arkansas, you know, getting six, getting to six and six, seven and five going to bowls should be the goal. But for every fan base, like if I'm Sam Pittman and I start like right now, Arkansas fans are going to be happy that I'm going six and six, seven and five going to bowls. You're like, woo, we're going in the right direction. If I keep posting six and six, seven and five seasons, I'm not going to be there very long. True. Yeah. Mississippi State went three and seven last year, tacked on a. With their bowl win to go four and seven, uh, I don't, I don't know honestly right now if we have any suspensions hanging over to the beginning of the season or what happened. But that was a mess, a disgusting game anyway. Pouring rain, just gross. Nothing. I know. No wonder they. What happened? No wonder they wanted to fight. That did not look like a fun football game to be a part of. Uh, so they had that offensive explosion against LSU, but then once the like season got going. Like uh, Mississippi State's got a pretty decent defense, and the offense wasn't all that great. Now we should we got a little bit of a glimpse offensively of what's ahead in twenty twenty one as Will Rogers kind of got just thrown into the fire. Uh, got a little bit of experience as a freshman, and so I think we expect him to be leading Mike Leach's uh, offense again. What are the burning questions for uh, for the Bulldogs going into spring practice? Uh, can we move the ball? <laughs> Like, I just, why did you bring Mike Leach in? For the offense, right? And what was the weak part of your team? I I do think that the Mike Leach pitch in terms of the hire has to also be like, well, he's one in Lubbock and Pullman. 
and we're in Starkville. You know, you're yeah. like, you're doing a little bit of like the big picture, you know, he, he figures out ways to do more with less kind of thing. And I do expect that we're going to see improvement from Mississippi state because, <laughs> because we've seen like with Mike Leach at previous stops, like year one, especially when he's coming into a situation where he kind of has to overhaul everything. There's an adjustment period. Like when he took over at Texas tech, it wasn't that different from what the Red Raiders were already doing. So they went seven and six. But when he took over at Washington State, mm. it was they were running. They had run the air raid in previous years, but it wasn't exactly the same way that Mike was right runs his didn't exactly have the personnel built for it. They went three and nine in year one. Then they went six, to seven, in year two. They went three and nine in year three. And then they went nine and four. And that's when things kind of took off in Washington State kind of became self-sustaining in Mike Leach's model. So. I won't be shocked at all if we see improvement because I have a hard time thinking that that offense is going to be as bad as it was last year. I think that you get a, you, you get a quarterback in that's more of a fit for what you want. You have an actual offseason to install it. You're not dealing with suspensions and all that kind of stuff, and guys are able to learn the offense this offseason. I think that's going to raise the floor, and we're going to see improvement. So I do expect Mississippi State to be better. It's just... I don't know how much better they can be in this division. And I know, Bud, you've talked about it on previous shows this offseason. It's like, I think Mississippi State fans, they're going to have a good, solid football team. It's just, it's going to come down to, it's like, things were great under Dan Mullen. I don't know if they're ever going to be that great again. I agree. I mean, like, like Dan Mullen is like that kind of 95th percentile result in the entire history of your program under the current construct of the SEC West, right? Um, so I have some questions here. What 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 is Mississippi State going to do pass rush-wise? Because Spencer and Jones last year for them, I mean, just they were really, really pretty good. I mean, Kobe Jones had 19 pressures. Marquis Spencer had, had 16. And they were also extremely good against the run. And now both those guys are are gone. So, you know, that that's concerning. Um but like we noted with Arkansas, they, they also had a lot of offensive line problems last year. And I, I think I do see potential for quite a bit of improvement with Mississippi State this year offensively. I, I think the second year in Mike Leach's air raid, like you guys noted, really makes a lot of sense. Um, there were games last year where the better defensive lines they played dropped eight, but still got pressure with three. I mean, go back and watch. I think it's like, I'm trying to think about the point where I started live betting the hell out of this. Uh, but this is like log into your other accounts and empty it as far as like Mississippi State team total unders uh, live game because AM started out, they were playing them kind of head up for a little bit. And I was like, really? And then they just started dropping everybody. And then AM still is like crushing these guys up front. Like they're winning three on five. I'm like, oh, oh, Mississippi State's in real trouble here because they're, they're, you know, their quarterbacks aren't that good. And that's, so I think they have a real shot to be better on the offensive line with a little better continuity, a little bit better understanding. Playing with those splits, by the way, is something that is not normal for an offensive lineman to play with that wide of splits, even at the high school spread level. So that that's something they can get adjusted to. Uh, I, I like Coach Zach Arnett. I, the main questions I have are how much better can the offensive line be and then what, what's the pass rush going to be? Because I, I think they found something at quarterback last year. Yep. Will Rogers should be very interesting to track. 
You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him off in the internet somewhere at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.